Daniel, and uh, I'm excited to be taking us into God's Word. I invite you to pray with me again as we get ready to do that. Um, Jesus, I just want to again admit that I am totally dependent on you, and we all are uh, when it comes to um, not only just understanding your Word, but also being changed and transformed. We're completely dependent, and I thank you that you invite us to come as your little children and just trusting that you, um, when we come to you as our good, as our good heavenly Father, uh, you will give us good gifts. And we just ask for that this morning as we look at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever you're starting something new, there's kind of this mixed bag of emotions. Uh, the beginnings of things are usually exciting, it's fun, um, and, uh, but sometimes it's difficult. There's n- new experiences come with some confusion and some difficulty at times. I know um, a couple years ago when my wife and I were working on the bathroom in our house, kind of fixing that up and changing some things around in there. It was like exciting as we were dreaming about it and planning like this is what we're going to do and the, the bath's going to move over here and we're going to do this thing and do that thing and paint these colors and all this stuff. And then you start doing it and you're like, this is not fun anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, there's kind of that aspect with anything that's new. It's fun. It's exciting. And then as you get into it, sometimes there's difficulties that you couldn't have even imagine it on the front end, especially when it's something you've never done before. Um, And, you know, our bumper video kind of highlights that with parenting. Uh, It's exciting, it's new, but it's also very difficult. And there's all these things that you've never experienced before. And I think it's important to always remember that as we get into the book of Acts, that we as believers now, we're sitting on the shoulders of those before us. And we have this very long and rich Christian tradition that that has brought us to where we are today. And so even as we gather, you know, we kind of have some established things as far as order of worship and, and, um, and, and you know, a rich theological tradition and all of these things. And they didn't have any of that. And in, in, in this, this early church, they're just, you know, in a, in, a, in a big sense, they're kind of figuring it out as they go along. And as God is kind of carrying them along experience by experience, they're just kind of discovering things along the way. So it's new, it's fun, it's exciting, but it's also a little bit scary. It's a little bit like there's just a lot of new moments and a lot of what do we do? God help me kind of moments. And so it's, just, it's important to, to remember that. And even now as we jump in, we're, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Last week, Carl took us in through the first few verses where we kind of see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so just to, just to remember, you know, the, where, we've, where we've come, we've come through the book of Luke. We saw all that Jesus did and said and his, kind of establishing his ministry with his disciples and things like this. And then uh, he gives them a few directions after his resurrection. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. And then he also says, and I'll be with you always, Just wait in Jerusalem and I will give you the promised Holy Spirit. So that's kind of what they have to go on. And so when we jump into Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment, the promised Holy Spirit come. And so the believers 
start to actually go out. And the first thing they do is they just begin to tell people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit empowers them to do that in all the different languages of people that they're talking to. And so there's kind of this wild scene and everybody's like, what's going on? And that's where we're going to jump in here. Acts chapter 2. I'm actually going to read verse 12, and then from 13 on, it'll be on the screen. But it says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And then verse 13, it says, But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's like, it's 8 a.m., guys. And I, I just, I couldn't get past it. I was just like, man, what an opening line. This is hilarious. I have, I've given several sermons in my life. I've never once had to clarify, okay, by the way, as we get started, I'm not drunk right now. Um, maybe I should. I don't know. But uh, it's just, and I, I just love things like this in Scripture. Because it's so, like, relatable. It's so human. It, this isn't, like, sterilized at all. It's like these people think that Christians are whack jobs. And that's just, that, that's, that's Peter's starting point. It's like, okay, we have no credibility. Everybody thinks we're wasted. And here we go. And it's funny because it's, it, I think it is relatable. I mean, I know maybe you've had situations like that where people have made fun of you about certain things, um, maybe about following Jesus. I know uh, as a college student and then like when I was the college pastor, one thing we would do pretty frequently is we'd go on prayer walks around the campus and usually we'd do it on Friday nights or Saturday nights when other people were out partying and kind of intentionally so that we could run into other groups of students that were out walking and we could just say, hey, we're out praying. Would, is there anything that we can pray for you for? And it was kind of a fun way to engage with people. But, but yeah, I got accused of that all the time. People think that, are you high and stuff like that? And it's like, well, no. Um, and uh, anyway, but the, so it's, it's familiar. It's just, it's just a very human thing that happens. All, it happens all the time. And, um, and uh, the, you know, people just trying to explain away kind of the, the mystery of God and all these things. And, but, but the thing that I want to highlight for us this morning in these first couple uh, verses is that um, for these folks who are in Jerusalem, for a lot of them, this is kind of an unwanted unasked for miracle. And I think we experience those in life. We experience a lot of unwanted miracles. See, there, and, and these are the kind of miracles that need to be explained away because they reveal a truth that we didn't want to know. They show that something is broken or they show that I maybe don't know as much as I thought I did. Or maybe that I'm, I guess I'm not God. I'm not as in control as I thought. I don't have everything figured out. But often it's in our attempts to kind of explain away these things that it causes us to miss the beauty of what's really happening. And so as, as these folks, and, and I think, again, I think we can relate to them because there's a lot of things that happen in life that are strange or weird or difficult. And we sort of just want to give a pad answer, but to, to just give a picture of what is actually going on here. So the, the quick explanation is, oh, they're just drunk. But let's look at what's actually happening. So 
This is, um, this is happening at Pentecost, or the, the, it's during the Jewish festival of weeks. Okay, so if I can take, a, take just us on a, on a little journey here for a second. I know probably most of us don't come from a Jewish background, um, but in Jewish tradition, they had three major pilgrimage holidays. So one of them is called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It was kind of remembering the Israelites uh, living kind of that nomadic life in the wilderness. And they'd set up all these tents and kind of live in them for a week and that kind of a thing. So there's that one. But then there's also Passover, which is a commemoration of the, the moment where God passed over the uh, the nation of Israel. And it's the scene where he sets them free from their captivity in Egypt. And they have to kill an innocent, spotless lamb and put the blood above their doorposts. You maybe are familiar with the story. And so, the, the, so death passes over the nation of Israel and only kills the firstborn of the Egyptians. And that's kind of what tips the scales and where God sets them free from slavery. And then... Um, 50 days later, they always celebrated this festival of weeks. And the, the Feast of Weeks was a commemoration of when God delivered the law to the Israelites. So it was when they were out in the wilderness, God through Moses delivered his law. And it was kind of this covenant sort of moment that I will be your God and you will be my people. And if you obey these laws, things will go well. If if you don't obey them, they won't go well. And it was sort of this God sort of like sealing them as his chosen people to live and, uh, in, in his way. And so think about that. So Passover, what they're commemorating is God's freeing them from slavery through the sacrifice of a lamb. And that's exactly when Jesus dies and rises again to set us free from slavery to death and sin. And then here what we see happening where the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost or during the Feast of Weeks, now rather than God giving the law and calling a special people to himself, he's giving his very spirit and collecting and drawing to himself a family of all nations. So this is kind of this big cosmic story that is all coming to fruition right now. And sometimes it's easy to miss that in a few verses, but this is what's happening. And, and the way that people want to tend to explain it away is like, oh, I think they're just drunk. So I just, two, two things that I want us to just recognize. This is first of all in our life, I think anything, and this, this is just kind of in general, when there's things that we don't know how to explain or things that we don't understand, I just want us to be very careful about giving just quick answers. Quick pad answers, blanket statements. Because we see in Scripture in general, but especially in the book of Job, that often the people who speak first are the most wrong. <laughs> it's all, I think it's a wise thing just to sometimes wait. We don't always have the full picture. Um, and the second thing that I want us just to recognize here too is that we, we need to learn and continue to grow just to be understanding and patient 
and loving with those who don't know Jesus and maybe those who would push back or ridicule or, or say things that we don't agree. And it's very countercultural. I mean, you see the, see the kind of interactions that happen between people online these days and the way it happens culturally is like get outraged, demonize dehumanize, right? That's sort of like the method. And what we need to do is we need to, in, with Jesus's help, we need to do what Peter later writes in 1 Peter. He says, always be ready to give a de defense for the hope that you have. When people see that your life is different, that you have a different kind of hope, that maybe you believe things that, that are differently or that, that are different from the way that they believe, be ready to give an answer for that, but do it with gentleness and respect. See, because there's people in the crowd that are kind of making fun, but there's also people in the crowd that have genuine curiosity. So if Peter went about it in kind of like the Facebook, Twitter kind of way, where they're like, oh, they're just drunk, and Peter's like, no, you're drunk, then there's a lot of people whose genuine questions and curiosity never get answered. But to see somebody come back with a gentle, still bold, still full of truth, but gentle and respectful response, it does a lot. And so that's what he does. He begins to boldly explain and kind of walk through some things through the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to read here. So we're going to read Peter's, what's recorded of Peter's sermon here. So it's, it's going to be 20 verses, so a long, long section. Just read along with me on the screen. And it's, this, is, this is how Peter begins here. He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servant, servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So right there, we just got got what they recorded of, of, of Peter's sermon. And it on one hand, it's, very, it's kind of funny to me that I'm giving a sermon about a sermon today. So I'm not going to go through, I mean, and it's very clear what he's, what he's doing and what he's saying, okay? So I'm not going to try to extrapolate anything uh, more than what Peter already just said there about Jesus. And I, again, it's obvious. He's just going through Joel and a couple of Psalms and showing how those point directly to Jesus and him fulfilling that prophecy. But I think part of what Luke wants us, to, wants us to do as well, and sort of a case that he's been building throughout the book of Luke, and now we see the shift in the book of Acts, is he wants us to see Peter giving this sermon and say, wait, is, is it that Peter? That's the same guy? Like, that's like the same disciple Peter? Who like a month and a half ago was saying, no, no, no I don't know that guy because he was scared that he would be lumped in with Jesus and maybe punished with him. That's the same dude who's now boldly saying, and you guys crucified him. What changed? What changed? That's the question that Luke is inviting us to ask. And ultimately the answer has already been given. It's the Holy Spirit. Right? Obviously, yeah, they saw the risen Jesus. They kind of saw the ministry of Jesus be fulfilled. But now this boldness that Peter has, this we have not seen this before. We've seen maybe glimpses of it, but this kind of sermon, we haven't seen that. Let me just tell you, in the last month and a half, Peter did not just get like a seminary degree or something like that. This is, this is 100% supposed to be attributed to the work of the Spirit in his life. This is exactly why Jesus told them to wait. Because we cannot be who we are made to be. We cannot be obedient followers of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Or think about them. We don't think about people in a human way anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, I think we make the wrong assumption when we look at people in the Bible. We think that they're somehow special or different from us, or there must have been something about them that they get to be used by God in such a special way. When Luke has been clearly trying to show, and basically every writer of all the Gospels has been trying to show that these people were not the cream of the crop. Like these disciples have many embarrassing moments throughout the Gospels that they themselves are like, oh, you should probably put this in there. Yeah, Jesus said that thing and we didn't get it. And then Jesus was like trying to serve people. And then we were like arguing about who was the greatest. You should probably say that. You should probably write that down. That's the, and Luke has been building that case. It's a strong case. These were not the cream of the crop kind of people. And 
what, what we are meant to see here in this shift in Peter and what we'll ultimately see in, in, in all the disciples is that these are very normal, average people who've put their faith in Jesus. They've been discipled in his way of life and they've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows us who we were truly made to be. It's through the Holy Spirit we see who God created us to be, made in his image, to live life empowered by him. And I think that this is the, you know, we haven't seen this Peter before, but I think this is the Peter that Jesus saw when he said, hey, Peter, come follow me. Did any of this stuff really exist in Peter at that point? I don't think so. He was like a fisherman. He wasn't thinking about any of this stuff. But Jesus saw beyond what was already there. He saw through what could happen in Peter's life when he became a new creation. And so the thing for us is that I think we often discount ourselves because we feel like, oh, I'm not this or I'm not that or I've done this. Or, but Jesus seems to be very confident in his ability to change people and to make us new creations, to turn us into his ambassadors. I mean, that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, it's encouraging to me. It also is sort of like, really? Because God, I don't, I, I, I think you would do a, maybe you should be your own ambassador. I think you would do a better job. Like, we're not good at this. We're messy. But Jesus is just that confident in his ability to redeem and to save. So the, the Holy Spirit reveals who we were created to be. But the Holy Spirit also reveals Jesus. And he reveals Jesus in the whole Bible. He helps us to know him. And again, this is, this is what you see of, of Peter and the disciples in, in general. There's a few moments, especially Peter gets a few moments, where it's like, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, he has a few moments of clarity, but there's a lot of them where they're like, Jesus said this thing directly to us, and we didn't know what he was talking about till later. There's just so much of that. And... Uh, and so that that's, was Peter's experience. And now he's the one explaining the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. What changed? The Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talked about this a lot in the book of John. In John 14, Jesus said this. He said, uh, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. John 15. But when the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus makes this really clear picture that it's like, if you want to know me, if you want to know about me, if you want to be able to follow me, it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can actually know Jesus and not just facts about Jesus, right? Anybody can just pick up the Bible and know facts about Jesus, just like anybody could, you know, talk to me and learn facts about my wife. But my wife and I, we have a close relationship. We have a deep friendship. We know one another really, really well, and it's, and it's only through the Holy Spirit that we could have that type of close, intimate relationship with Jesus, where we truly know him as a friend. 
So the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. He reveals who we were made to be. Let's continue verses 37 through 39. It says, Now when they, like the crowd who was gathered, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to, <clears throat> calls to himself. So these people are in Jerusalem. They've gathered from all over the place, followers of, of Yahweh in, in, in the way of Judaism. They've come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, to be close to God's presence, to worship at the temple. But through Jesus, literally, the curtain has just been torn open. And this invitation to commune with God, to experience his presence actively in our lives is for everyone. Everyone. And P Peter is highlighting that to a diverse group of people. I mean, he's boldly proclaiming it to a group of people. He doesn't know who these people are. He knows they're from all over the place, but he doesn't know anything, any details about their life. But he can confidently say this same thing, what we have just experienced, this small group of 120 believers. That was all that was left when Jesus ascended back to heaven. 120 people. That was the, that was the culmination of his ministry when he left. 120. And Peter's saying, this isn't just for our little group right here. This is for everyone. And I think this is challenging for us because it's so easy for us to think that there's some people who are just too far gone. And for many of us, maybe there's groups of people that you think that about. And we put people in different categories like, oh, this person probably God could save them. But then this group of people, they're just so far off in whatever direction because of this thing or that thing or this lifestyle or that political thing or that whatever, that that's just, that's off limits. And either we don't think God can, or sometimes we don't even think God should. Like, well, they made their bed and they can lay in it kind of thing. And we just, it's like that, that's the, that sometimes is our attitude when it comes to people who often just people who aren't like us. But the, this, this invitation to be saved and to receive the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And I think often we um, have a problem with that, not, not just with groups of people, but I would say sometimes in an even more real way with individuals, with specific people, especially people who maybe have hurt us or harmed us in some way. We write those people off. And the reality is, is for, for us as believers, Jesus said, he's like, man, if, if, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. And I think for many of us, we just don't recognize how much we've been forgiven. We think somehow that we maybe did a better job or were like easier to save for some reason. But man, if God was putting extra conditions on this, I don't think any of us could stand. The only reason that we get to have any kind of relationship with God is because it's free. Because he did it on our behalf. And so for, for some of us this morning, I think something we might need to consider is are there people that we have written off as being too 
far gone or that God is, wouldn't be able to save or maybe shouldn't save. Because that's not, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is for everyone. And we tend to draw a lot of boundary lines that I think are very dishonoring to him and to his name and to what Jesus has done. And what the, the invitation that Peter extends here is, I think, also an invitation for believers to really understand this and believe this, that the invitation um, to be saved is the same for every single person with no extra conditions. Every person has the same invitation. Believe in Jesus, repent from your sins, and be saved. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. Know that he has, he has lived the righteous life that you should have lived, that we failed to, to live. We accept his forgiveness for our sins, and we're saved. We receive the Holy Spirit. That's for every person. And so one of the things that we have here at our church is we have this big Jesus sign above the door. And on one hand, it's supposed to be sort of a, um, just kind of a, a marker that reminds us of all that God has done. That for those of us who are in Christ, like literally, we got to put our tag in that sign and say, yeah, I'm in Christ. He saved me. But it's also to be a reminder to us as we walk out the doors that we want to see more tags in that sign. You know, and I'm, I'm speaking more generally. Like, it, it doesn't matter if people's tags ever show up in that sign or not. This isn't for our, our benefit or for our glory, but it's just to, to be a reminder for us. And so I would say for some of us, maybe we're recognizing that we've been a little hard-hearted or maybe a little bit self-righteous. And one of the things that I'd encourage you to do is to, uh, on your way out this morning, to take a little brass tag with you. And take that as a reminder of maybe a specific person in your life that you're just like, I think this is the least likely candidate for somebody who would be saved. And I just invite you to take that tag and either just put it in your pocket or hang it up somewhere where you'll see it regularly. Put it in your car, on your dashboard, or like on your mirror in the morning, on your fridge if you're there a lot. <laughs> well, I don't know your life. Um, but anywhere where you'll see it a lot, and just use that as a reminder to pray. Say, God, this is beyond me. And if I'm honest, I don't even really think this is possible. But would you do it? And I just encourage you, you may be very surprised. Sometimes the people we think are the furthest are actually more ready than we think. And... And at the same time, maybe it'll be years and years and years of prayer before we see any fruit. But here's where I want to end here with these last couple verses. Verses 40 and 41, it says, With many other words he bore witness. Of course, with many other words, right? Anybody ever heard a sermon that short? Of course not. <laughs> he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, that's amazing. The church just grew from 120 to over 3,000. They would have been blown away if it was 100 people. They would have doubled the size of their church. This is unmanageable growth. <laughs> like that was my first thought reading through it. Like as a pastor, I was like, what would we do if our church grew by this degree? 
It's like we just went from like, okay, here's our little group of 120. We know everybody. And yeah, there's, you know, there's Jerry over there. That's probably not a Jewish name. But, you know, yeah, there's Jerry. I know him. I know all these kids. And now it's like 3,000 people from all over the place who don't even all speak the same language. This is the new church. That's unmanageable. It's like, whoa, God, slow down. We need to get some systems in place. See, this is like way beyond anything we could ask or imagine. This is exactly what God is in the business of doing. And I think, I think as much as, you know, you can never be ready for something like that. But you can be expectant. You can lean in and you can be asking and waiting on the Lord and just being obedient to him. See, they didn't know that this was going to happen. The Holy Spirit came and they were just moved to go and share. Just start witnessing. And obviously Peter is kind of giving the large crowd, you know, the big address, the sermon. But there's hundreds of conversations that are happening and the Holy Spirit's in empowering people to do that in individual languages. But there's hundreds of conversations that are happening out in the crowd. And they didn't know that anybody was going to respond. And I imagine that even though they, you know, this was kind of a big moment, they were empowered and stuff, I imagine they still felt a little nervous, like you and I do if we ever have an opportunity to share our faith, right? And anytime, if, if we're just honest, anytime we start to talk about evangelism, or witnessing, or sharing our faith, we all get freaked out. Like, if you're in the room and you don't feel scared by that, kudos to you. I get a little nervous. I get a little extra sweaty when, it, when, it starts, when we start talking and thinking about evangelism. Why? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid of people. We're afraid of what people think of us. We're afraid of people rejecting us. We're afraid of people getting upset with us. And when we fear people, we come up with a lot of excuses. The excuses become the reasons, right? I'm not smart enough, which is true. I might stumble over my words. That's also probably true. You know, they might reject me or they might get mad. Yeah, they might. But here's the thing. If you love that person, those excuses go out the window. It doesn't matter anymore what their response is. You just want to love them by sharing Jesus. It's the, it's the best that we have. It's the only good thing that we have. Jesus. If we love people, we want to share it. And again, it doesn't, when, and, and there's just so much kind of junk that we gather up around evangelism. And I think it just gets clouded up. But here's the thing is, you don't have to be the sermon giver to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a Billy Graham to be an evangelist. Those people are awesome and they have a unique gifting. But at the same time, you know, you, you see a Billy Graham thing and thousands of people come to Jesus. That's amazing. But you don't know any background of all the conversations and all the prayers and all the relationships that have happened behind the scenes for that person to be ready to make a decision on that day when they're given the opportunity. And so I think, I think often evangelism doesn't always look like Billy Graham, it often looks more like my friend Lee Jones. I just did his funeral yesterday, and um, Lee was just awesome. And he would sit up here, these two chairs, him and Jan, him and his wife, they're both with Jesus now, but him and Jan would sit up in these two chairs, and Lee was, um, 
he was funny, he was sarcastic, he would pick on you, and it was just super funny, and he would just, he always had funny comments about everything, but at the same time, so he'd be, he'd be making a joke one minute, and then the very next minute, with tears in his eyes, he'd be telling you about how much he loves Jesus, and what Jesus has done in his life, and I mean, that guy was not ashamed of Jesus. He would tell literally anybody, and it was it, it just a beautiful thing. And just I, I, and this is the we get again we get queasy about the word witness, but I mean literally if you think about that word, like in a courtroom, you're just asked to share what you've seen, what you've experienced. Like yeah, I saw this car and this car crash at this intersection, and you were a witness. And for us to be witnesses of Jesus, it's just like yeah, I. Jesus crashed into my life, and now I'm not the same. And that's, what it, that's all it means. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Chad. You don't have to compare yourself to people like that and, and compare yourself to different people's giftings. It might make you feel good if you compare yourself to me, so if that is helpful, you can do that. <laughs> but, but you don't have to compare yourself. God has given us unique gifts and, you, uh, and has given you a unique testimony, a unique witness. It's not worth comparing to somebody else's. Because God has this amazing way. Again, Jesus is so confident in his ability to save people. He can use your fumbled words. <laughs> and that's what I rely on every week that I get to stand up here and do this. I mean, you guys are not getting like the best stuff right now. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. But ultimately, if the Holy Spirit doesn't do something in your heart, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's him who does the work. A little while back, I was out to eat with my dad and, and another guy. And, um, and uh, this doesn't happen all the time. It probably would happen more often <laughs> if I was like more surrendered to Jesus and just more, you know, less selfish and self-absorbed all the time. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, every once in a while, if I'm paying attention, Jesus will kind of highlight something for me or highlight a person. And uh, so we were out to eat, and, and uh, I just saw this guy, and me and my dad and this guy were kind of talking, and they were, you know, they were, they were mostly talking, and I just couldn't even engage in the conversation because I was just so focused in on this guy. And I just felt like God was putting on my heart um, just that this guy— I, I was supposed to go pay for this guy's breakfast and, um, and just kind of share Jesus with him and, uh, and that he maybe was even ready to give his life to Jesus that day. I just felt impressed that on my heart. And so I just was like, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. And, but I just like, I knew I wasn't going to be able to move on unless I did it. So I was like, all right, if you will stop bothering me. So I walked over to the guy, and again, like, you know, these are, these are, this is what it's like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's like you feel sweaty, <laughs> you feel nervous, and you just trust, right? And so I walked over to this guy, and I feel silly sharing this story because this is like one of very few times that I've done this, <laughs> okay? So don't be like, wow, Daniel's really, I'm not, okay, I'm not. But I walked over to this guy, and um. And uh, I was like, hey, um, I'd like to pay for your breakfast. And he's like, no, I don't want you to do that. It's like, no, really, I, I, I really, I, I felt like God wanted me to come over here and pay, pay for your breakfast. And, um, and his attitude kind of changed a little bit. 
to uh, more upset. <laughs> and he was like, no, I, I don't want you to do that. I was like, no, really, it's just, I was like, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. I was like, I know you can pay for your own breakfast, but it's just like, I just want to give you a gift. It's like at Christmas time, you know, you know, this person could buy this for themselves if they wanted it, but you, you're excited to give a gift. He's like, no, I really don't want you, you I don't want you to buy my breakfast. And I was like, all right, man, well, just wanted you to know Jesus loves you. And I kind of just like walked away. And um, it didn't, that didn't go the way I had envisioned. <laughs> so I walked back over and I sat down and, um, and I was just, it was, the, the reason I bring it up is because it was one of the first times I didn't walk away from a situation. I felt, you know, there was kind of the butterflies. There was kind of the, the nervous energy. That was, but it was one of the first times I walked away from a, a situation like that where I didn't feel discouraged. Because I knew that it's not up to me to get any kind of results or response. In fact, if I'm doing that, I'm probably not loving this guy unconditionally. I'm just trying to get a response or get a story out of it right? So what I'm doing is I'm just trying my best to follow Jesus. And maybe I heard wrong. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. I was just being obedient. And I think as I walked away, I knew God was saying, well done. And I also knew because I follow Jesus and, I've, and, I, and I know him fairly well, that, that, was, that Jesus was going to be bothering that guy for the rest of the day. <laughs> and that he was going to be thinking about that annoying dude with a mustache who tried to buy his breakfast and just ruined his day and told him that God loved him. And so I don't know what happened. And the reality is, is that I, we don't always get to or not always supposed to see the fruit from what God is asking us to do. You see that in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all these people in all these ways that they trusted God and had faith in God. And it says this very encouraging verse that's on all of our calendars and stuff. And all these died not having received the promises. Sometimes that's just what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about me walking away feeling good about it more than just knowing that I, I get to hear well done from him. And I know it was his Holy Spirit that prompted me to do it. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't care about that guy. I would just eat my breakfast. And so for, for us this morning, I just encourage you that the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to speak about Jesus. They didn't see 3,000 people come to the Lord because Peter spoke a level 3,000 sermon. I mean, it was good. It was clear. But... I, I guess I don't know. Maybe it was 3,000 level. I don't know. But what, but what we're supposed to be, what's supposed to be abundantly clear is this is what God was doing. That's why we call this series the Acts of the Risen Jesus. Because this is what Jesus does. He takes our simple nothing <laughs> and turns it into something meaningful. It's like the feeding of the 5,000, right? This little boy brings his lunch and Jesus feeds all these people. That, that's just what he does with our lives. And so if we're just willing to step in and say, all right, I'll be obedient to you. And regardless of the sequence of events or if we felt good or bad after how it went, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our goal is to lovingly share Jesus with people. 
to make disciples of all nations. And it's Jesus' job, it's actually the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin, to show them their need for Jesus, and then to ultimately be the one that changes them from the inside out and makes them a new creation. So I'm gonna invite the band to come up. But as we end, I just wanna invite you, and, and even as we sing this last song, I invite you to think about how God may have you respond today. Because ultimately, for those of us who already follow Jesus, we, we have a mission. It's the same mission that was given to the early church, that we would go and make disciples. And I want us to feel that in the right way, because it's not this pressure like, okay, we need to go out there and save everybody. No, we don't save anybody. <laughs> If there's any kind of hurrah, if there's any kind of like, ah, let's go do it. It's like, let's go be faithful and obedient. Let's just, let's just genuinely share with no strings attached what we've witnessed of Jesus. And let him deal with the results. Let's trust that the Holy Spirit is actually God living in us. And that if I will get out of the way, I might see something miraculous happen. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, just thank you for who you are and that you take broken, messed up people and you make us your kids. And God, if there's some people in the room who maybe have never taken that step, the invitation is for them. It is, it's open. There's no extra conditions. It's just believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, receive that forgiveness, and receive the Holy Spirit. It is for everyone. Jesus, I pray for us as the church. I think, I think it's easy for us to get so self-focused. And I say us, I mean me. And it's, not, it's nice to think about what you've done for us. But Jesus, we're not willing to share that with other people. Um, would you help us? God, we know we've been fearful of people. And we feared people more than we feared you. And we know that when we fear people, we can't really love them. So would you transform our hearts not to fear people, but to love them? God, for some of us, if there's maybe some, maybe there's some specific people in our, in our life that maybe we've just got a burden for them and maybe we should maybe today it's just you're just inviting us just to continue to trust you and maybe it is maybe we'll take one of those little brass tags as a reminder to pray but God ultimately we can be obedient and we can share but we can't do make anything happen in somebody's heart we're trusting you for that it's impossible for us but it's not impossible for you you are mighty to save Jesus, we saw what you did with this early church, the way that you just caused explosive growth. And God, honestly, I don't care about the numerical growth of this particular church. God, we just want to see your kingdom grow. We want to see your family grow. And whether we get to see, you know, tags on the Jesus sign, that's, that's fine. But Jesus, we just want to be a part of what you're doing, not for our glory, but for yours that we would fade more and more into the background. 
that you can be made much of. Would it be less of us and more of you, Jesus, in our lives? Pray for people who have been afraid at work, in specific relationships, to even talk about just their personal relationship with you. Not even, not even trying to have a debate or anything, but they're just people who have just been afraid. I just pray that you would transform their heart to love the people that they're around in a deeper way, just like you love us. And God, we do pray that we would see many, many people come to faith in Jesus. We know that all we do is we, we water seeds, we plant seeds, but you're the one that gives the growth. And at the same time, God, we know that you said that the, there is a, a ready harvest. And God, I believe that in, in each of our lives, there are people who are right now today, they are ready to give their life to Jesus. And I just pray you would give us the boldness to step into that, just knowing that we're going to have to do it a little nervous. We're going to have to do it a little scared, but we're going to do it in faith, trusting that as we step, that you will, you will provide the power that's needed. So God, we worship you. And in this, in this time as we sing, would you just be revealing to our hearts exactly what you would have us do in response. Let's stand and sing together.